Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. The problem is we can't talk about it. The problem. We're not even sure which words can be used and which cannot be used. Palestine, for instance. Is there a country called Palestine? Even asking the question prompts suspicion because the answer is no, not anymore. There are still Palestinian people, but now they're called Arabs. We can't talk about it, or rather, I feel like I can't talk about it, the Israeli occupation of Palestine, without fear of being labeled and attacked as someone who hates and fears the Jewish people. I'm afraid of being called an anti-Semite, so I remain silent because I'm a coward. But this is the home of the brave, after all, and in order to live up to that standard, I decided I was going to talk about it because I don't believe I am an anti-Semite and because the only thing to fear here is fear itself. The idea I came up with was to talk about it by going there and producing a podcast from Palestine. I could carry everything I needed in my backpack and I didn't have a boss to tell me no. I should explain that I'd been to Israel and Palestine, the West Bank, twice before once in 2007 and again in 2014. And both times, I had minor nervous breakdowns where I fell nearly completely apart because it was so intense, such enormous tension in such a small place. And I knew nobody, at least nobody I worked for, was going to print or play my story because what I saw was a nightmare. Palestine isn't a country, it's a prison a prison with the structure of a pomegranate. The Palestinian towns and cities are the seeds, and they're surrounded, tightly enclosed by walls, razor wire, forbidden highways, settlements, and security checkpoints. Inside their seed pods, Palestinians have no right of free speech or assembly. They can be arrested without charge and held indefinitely. They can be tortured. They can be assassinated. Palestine looked to me like a prison, and I could feel, almost smell, hatred smoldering in fear, as if this place, Jerusalem, was the source of all wars throughout history, and I saw in my delusion monstrous tentacles of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism rising up from the bowels of hell and smothering half the planet. I was a nervous wreck, unable to do my job, and both times I swore I'd never go back. And yet, late one night about three weeks ago, either trying to face down my fear or deciding to commit professional suicide, I changed my mind and looked for a cheap ticket on the internet. I found one for $1,000, round trip to Tel Aviv, leaving in three days. I think the day of my departure actually began the night before because I only slept a couple of hours trying to get everything done and pack my bag. I had to be at the airport here in Salt Lake for a 6 a.m. flight to Los Angeles, connecting on an El Al nonstop to Tel Aviv. El Al is the Israeli airline. I should have known that, but I didn't. I should have known or been aware of several things, but I didn't or wasn't. I could have ironed my clothes and combed my hair. I could have shaved and not worn my sunglasses standing in line at the El Al ticket counter at LAX. 
And I would have done these things if I would have known what was going to happen. I was standing in line, a long line that zigzagged back and forth maybe four times, and I noticed there were airline representatives talking to passengers just before they stepped up to the actual ticket counter. They seemed to be chatting, making small talk, and I thought maybe they're slowing things down. No need to talk about the weather when everybody is waiting. But then when I got up to the person, a young woman, she looked at my passport and asked me why I was going to Israel. I decided beforehand I was going to tell the truth about what I was doing. I knew there'd be a security interview in Tel Aviv where they'd ask my intentions, and I knew if I lied or tried to come up with something only partly true, I could be in deep trouble. So my plans were to be upfront the whole way. But I thought this woman was just an airline employee there to make sure I was in the right line or something. So I told her I was going for tourism. I lied first thing, even though I said I wouldn't because it seemed expedient. I just wanted to get to the ticket counter and get on the plane. Tourism? She asked, somewhat skeptical. What's your profession? I'm a writer. And you're just going for tourism? Actually, I might work on a story. At this point, I was just waking up to the situation, realizing this was an official interrogation by a highly intelligent, highly trained person, and I just made a serious mistake by starting off with a lie. I can't really remember the series of questions or in what order they came. I wish I could, but my memory wasn't working at the time. All my brain cells were busy freaking out at being exposed to this woman's eyes that were looking straight through my eyes to the inner core of my brain. I was backpedaling, and she was hitting me with questions, and I was up against the ropes, and she kept hitting me. Why, 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 why? All I could do by answering was cover my face and take the blows. But then she said, what religion are you? Wait, I said, you can't ask me that. You can't ask my religion before I get on a plane. That can't be legal. Who do you work for? Who do I work for, she asked. Yes, are you employed by the airline? No, she said, we work for the state of Israel. What department? And she said, the state department. Then she left and went to talk with her associates who were standing at the end of the ticket counter about 30 feet away. A different young woman came back and started in again with more questions. Who do you work for? I'm an independent. I work for myself. What kind of stories do you write? Oh, a lot of things. Too many to go into now, I think. What story will you write about Israel? I'm not sure, I said. I was going to figure it out when I got there. I was trying to say as little as possible. And also, I didn't actually know where I was going to go or what my story was going to be about. I was going to get there and rent a car and drive around and talk to people, meeting people at random. I told the woman this was my usual method, but it was unconvincing, I suppose, because she kept asking me the same questions over and over. You can't ask me questions like this, I said. It's prior restraint. The Pentagon Papers? She seemed unfazed by this. Do you want to get on the plane? She asked me very calmly. Yes, I said, I want to get on the plane. 
then you need to answer my questions. It went like this, back and forth for a half an hour. In all, I was interviewed by five people, four women and a man. Where will you go? Who will you talk to? Why did you buy your ticket only three days ago? Have you spoken with anybody in Israel? Do you know where you're staying? Where will you stay? Do you know anybody in Israel? Do you know anybody in the West Bank? Who will you talk to? Why do you have just this small backpack? Have you been to Israel before? Have you been to other Middle Eastern countries? And I kept saying, I don't want to answer these questions. And they kept saying, do you want to get on the plane? So I tell them a little bit more, but everything I said just made the situation worse. The final interrogator, a young man about 30, had, I'm fairly certain, looked at my website while the others were busy with me. What was the name of your last story? He asked me this more than once, and more than once I avoided answering because the title of my last story was Prisoner of Zion. He wanted to know what it was about, and I said it was about what it's like to live in Salt Lake City among the Mormons. He wanted to know more, but I just did not want to get into a discussion about Zionism, not with him, not in order to get on the plane. Why do you do this? I asked him. We do this because so many people want to attack us, he said. But the terrorists have hit a lot of other countries, I said, and they don't do this. You wait, he said. In two years' time, everyone will do this. I told him, listen, you can't stop me from working, from getting on the plane based upon what you think I might say in a story. That amounts to prior restraint, prior censorship, and it's against the law in America. Has anyone told you you can't get on the plane, he asked. No, not yet, I said. He then said I could pick up my ticket but that they were going to search my bag here, on the table right over there, where the other security people were standing. I had nothing in my bag I didn't want them to see, except my notebook, cell phone, and computer. I was pretty sure they couldn't go through them here, not in the United States, but I had to think about it. Give me a minute, I said. You have two minutes, he said. The plane is leaving soon. Everyone else had already picked up their ticket, checked their bags, and had gone to the gate. I was standing there alone, a lone ticket agent waiting at her computer for me to decide. There are things that come up in this line of work that you learn through experience. Basically, there's only one rule, and it's tell the truth, or try to tell the truth. But there are all these problems that come up along the way, problems you can't predict, and if you make a mistake, people can get hurt, or worse, people can get killed. You have to figure things out by drawing lines you won't cross. And one of those lines is, you can't give your notebooks or cell phone or computer to the authorities, to the man, because there are names and phone numbers in there that could get people hurt, like the people who helped you get your story. Since I was just starting out on this story, I didn't have anything in there that would get anybody hurt, and I doubted they could go through anything there in the US. But once I got on that plane, I'd be on their playing field, under their rules. At the airport in Tel Aviv, there'd be another interrogation, harder, longer. And if I got out of that, then I'd have to obtain a press card from the Israeli government press office in Jerusalem, where there'd be another interrogation. 
But suppose I was able to get a press card and travel to Palestinian towns and cities where I interviewed Palestinians, Israeli settlers, people at random, and was able to produce a podcast. Then I would still have to get out of the Ben-Gurion airport where the security people would be able to go through my notebook, my cell phone, and computer, studying my work and the names of the people who helped me under the pretext that we might be enemies of the state of Israel. No, it did not look good. My goose was cooked. I said no. I turned and walked away. It was my decision. Perhaps it was wrong to even think it was possible or appropriate. I was proposing to ride an Israeli aircraft to Israel, where I would ask Israeli officials to let me enter their enemy's territory, the West Bank, to produce a podcast that would most likely be critical of Israel, and then they would allow me to exit the West Bank and get on another Israeli aircraft to ride back home. Thanks for visiting. Please come again. Oh, it was a bad idea in so many ways. There's no way to get to the West Bank other than through Israel. There's no airport, and Israel controls the border with Jordan, and I don't really want to go through Israeli security with my notebooks and equipment. So, this is my report. That's what happened. I didn't go to Palestine, and I didn't get a story, and I've broken a taboo just by talking about it. But I think we should talk about it, because being afraid to talk about it only breeds resentment and anger, maybe hatred, which are the exact things we're trying to avoid. Staying quiet is like a trap where you become the thing you fear. So let's not stay quiet. We should be able to criticize Israel the same way we criticize other countries. We should be able to criticize Judaism the same way we criticize other religions. When I say we, I mean everybody. I've met Jews who said they're afraid to criticize Israel for fear of the same kind of social shaming. The trap works the same way for them. You become the thing you're afraid of. The trick, or the way out of the trap, or the way to avoid it in the first place is to not be afraid to talk about it. This music is by Gray Philistine at Philistine on Twitter, philistine.com on the web. There are links on our website, homebrave.com. My friend Alex Caldiero was playing the mouth harp. He's a Sicilian poet who lives in Orem, Utah. There's an excellent video documentary about him called The Sinosopher, and there's a link to it on our website, homebrave.com. I'd like to thank Erica Heilman, Alex Caldero, Claire Dolan, Lou Borgnick, Lisa Miller, and Jesse Carrier for helping me get this show finished. If you want to comment on this story, I think the Home of the Brave Facebook site is a good place to do it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>